Chapter 19 of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education, by Charlotte A. Mason. Chapter 19. We Are Educated by Our Intimacies, Part 3. Vocation. I might trace the consummation of various other affinities in these two illustrious subjects, but space fails. I can only indicate the joy of pursuing the acquaintanceship, followed by the endless occupation for mind and heart, in that high intimacy which we call the vocation of each of these men of genius. Turner's Call to Ruskin Ruskin's career, to use his own common and expressive figure, began when, quote, on my thirteenth birthday, 8 February 1832, my father's partner, Mr. Henry Telford, gave me Rogers, Italy, and determined the main tenor of my life. I had no sooner cast my eyes on the Turner vignettes than I took from them my only masters, and set myself to imitate them as far as I possibly could by fine pen shading. My father at last gave me, not for the beginning of a Turner collection, but for a specimen of Turner's work, which was all, as it was supposed, I should ever need or aspire to possess, the Richmond Bridge, Surrey." End quote. Again, anent his purchase of Turner's Harlech, quote, Whatever germs of better things remained in me were then all centered in this love of Turner. It was not a piece of painted paper, but a Welsh castle and village and Snowdon in blue cloud that I bought for my seventy pounds. End quote. Sincere work. Not until he is twenty-two does he produce what he considers his first sincere drawing. Quote, One day on the road to Norwood I noticed a bit of ivory round a thorn stem, which seemed, even to my critical judgment, not, quote, ill-composed, and proceeded to make a light-and-shade pencil study of it in my grey paper pocket-book. Carefully, as if it had been a bit of sculpture, liking it more and more as I drew. When it was done, I saw that I had virtually lost all my time since I was twelve years old, because no one had ever told me to draw what was really there. End quote. Initiation. Later follows the story of his true initiation. Quote, I took out my book and began to draw a little aspen tree on the other side of the cart road, carefully. Languidly, but not idly, I began to draw it, and as I drew, the languor passed away. The beautiful lines insisted on being traced without weariness. More and more beautiful they became as each rose out of the rest and took its place in the air. With wonder increasing every instant, I saw that they composed themselves by finer laws than any known of man. At last the tree was there, and everything that I had thought before about trees, nowhere. He hath made everything beautiful in his time, became for me, thenceforward, 
the interpretation of the bond between the human mind and all visible things. End quote. Nature a Passion let us intrude into the consummation of one more intimacy. Already the boy had made acquaintance with mountains. He is now to have his first sight of the Alps. He, his father, his mother, and his cousin Mary went out to walk the first Sunday evening after the arrival on the garden terrace of Schofhausen, and, quote, Suddenly, behold, beyond! There was no thought in any of us for a moment of there being clouds. They were clear as crystal, sharp on the pure horizon sky, and already tinged with rose by the setting sun. Infinitely beyond all that we had ever thought or dreamed, the seen walls of lost Eden could not have been more beautiful to us. Not more awful, round heaven, the walls of sacred death. It is not possible to imagine at any time of the world a more blessed entrance into life for a child of such temperament as mine. End quote. How shall we venture to trace the growth of that astir, most gracious and enthralling intimacy with nature which was to Wordsworth the master light of all his seeing? He unfolds to us quote, the simple ways in which my childhood walked those chiefly that first led me to the love of rivers woods and fields the passion yet was in its birth sustained as might befall by nourishment that came unsought we cannot trace every step of the growth of this ethereal passion but only take a phase of it here and there the boy and some of his schoolfellows were boating on windermere in the late evening and they left one of their number, quote, the minstrel of the troop, quote, on a smile island, quote, and rode off gently while he blew his flute alone upon the rock. Oh, then the calm and dead still water lay upon my mind, even with a weight of pleasure, and the sky, never before so beautiful, sank down into my heart and held me like a dream. Thus were my sympathies enlarged, and thus daily common range of visible things grew dear to me. Already I began to love the sun. A boy, I loved the sun, not as I since have loved him, as a pledge and surety of our earthly life, a light which we behold and feel we are alive, not for his bounty to so many worlds, but for this cause, that I had seen him lay his beauty on the morning hills, had seen the western mountain touch his setting orb. The Calling of a Poet We may take one more look at this marvelous boy who, become a man, held that every child, as he, is born a poet. Quote, My seventeenth year was come. I, at this time, saw blessings spread around me like a sea. Thus, while the days flew by and years passed on, from nature and her overflowing soul, I had received so much that all my thoughts were steeped in feeling. I was only then contented, when with bliss ineffable I felt the sentiment of being spread o'er all that moves and all that seemeth still, or all that, lost beyond the reach of thought and human knowledge, to the human eye invisible, yet liveth to the heart. 
or all that leaps and runs and shouts and sings or beats the gladsome air or all that glides beneath the wave yea in the wave itself and mighty depths of waters if i should fail with grateful voice to speak of you ye mountains and ye lakes and surrounding cataracts ye mists and winds that dwell among the hills where i was born if in my youth i have been pure in heart if mingling with the world i am content with my own modest pleasures and have lived with god and nature communing removed from little enmities and low desires the gift is yours the education of the little prig before taking leave of the prelude i must introduce wordsworth's sketch of the child-studied little prig of his days days of much searching of heart and of many theories on the subject of education Quote, that common sense may try this common system by its fruits leave let me take a place before her sight a specimen portrayed with faithful hand full early trained to worship seemliness this model of a child is never known to mix in quarrels that were far beneath its dignity with gifts his bubbles o'er as generous as a fountain selfishness may not come near him nor the little throng of flitting pleasures tempt him from his path the wandering beggars propagate his name dumb creatures find him tender as a nun and a natural or supernatural fear unless it leaps upon him in a dream touches him not to enhance the wonder see how archie notices how nice his sense of the ridiculous he can read the inside of the earth and spell the stars he knows the policies of foreign lands can string you names of districts cities towns the whole world over tight as beads of dew upon a gossamer thread he sifts he weighs all things are put to question he must live knowing that he grows wiser every day or else not live at all and seeing too each little drop of wisdom as it falls into the dimpling cistern of his heart for this unnatural growth the trainer blame pity the tree meanwhile old grandam earth is grieved to find the playthings which her love designed for him unthought of in their woodland beds the flowers weep and the river sides all are forlorn oh give us once again the wishing cap of fortunatus and the invisible coat of jack the giant keeper robin hood and sabra in the forest with st george the child whose love is here at least doth reap one precious gain that he forgets himself children have affinities and should have relations i cannot stop here to gather any more of the instruction and edification contained in those two great educational books the prelude and praderita it is enough for the present if they have shown us in what manner children attach themselves to their proper affinities given opportunity and liberty our part is to drop occasion freely in their way whether in school or at home children should have relations with earth and water should run and leap ride and swim should establish the relation of maker to material as in many kinds as may be 
should have dear and intimate relations with persons through present intercourse through tailor poem picture or statue through flint arrowhead or modern motor-car beast and bird herb and tree they must have familiar acquaintance with other peoples in their languages must not be strange to them above all they should find that most intimate and highest of all relationships the fulfillment of their being this is not a bewildering program because in all these and more directions children have affinities and a human being does not fill his place in the universe without putting out tendrils of attachment in the directions proper to him we must get rid of the notion that to learn the three r's or the latin grammar well a child should learn these and nothing else it is true for children as for ourselves that the wider the range of interests the more intelligent is the apprehension of each education not desultory but i am not preaching a gospel for the indolent and proclaiming that education is a casual and desultory matter many great authors have written at least one book devoted to education and waverley seems to me to be scott's special contribution to our science edward waverley we are told quote, was permitted in a great measure to learn as he pleased when he pleased and what he pleased end quote. that he did please to learn and that his powers of apprehension were uncommonly quick would appear to justify this sort of education but wavering he was allowed to grow up and waverley he remained instability and ineffectiveness marked his course the manner of his education and its results are thus shortly set forth quote, edward would throw himself with spirit upon any classical author of which his preceptor proposed the perusal make himself master of the style so far as to understand the story and if that pleased or interested him he finished the volume but it was in vain to attempt fixing his attention on critical distinctions of philology upon the difference of idiom the beauty of felicitous expression or the artificial combinations of syntax quote, i can read and understand a latin author said young edward with the self-confidence and rash reasoning of fifteen and scaliger or bentley could not do much more End quote. alas when he was thus permitted to read only for the gratification of his amusement he foresaw not that he was losing forever the opportunity of acquiring habits of firm and assiduous application of gaining the art of controlling directing and concentrating the powers of his mind for earnest investigation an art far more essential than even that intimate acquaintance with classical learning which is the primary object of study waverley but illustrates what mr ruskin says in plain words that our youth whatever we make of it abides with us to the end quote, but so stubborn and chemically inalterable the laws of the prescription were that now looking back from eighteen eighty six to that brook shore of eighteen thirty seven whence i could see the whole of my youth i find myself in nothing whatsoever changed some of me is dead more of me is stronger i have learned a few things forgotten many in the total of me i am but the same youth disappointed and rheumatic strenuous effort and reverence we have seen in ruskin and wordsworth the strenuous attention 
condition of receptiveness which made each of them a producer after his kind and whosoever will play the game whether it be cricket or portrait painting must learn the rules with all diligence and get skill by his labor it is true quote, the labor we delight in physics pain end quote. but it is also true that we cannot catch hold of any one of the affinities that are in waiting for us without strenuous effort and without reverence a bird lover one would say has chosen for himself an easy joy but no your true bird lover is out of doors by four in the morning to assist at the levy of the birds nay is he not in hyde park by two thirty a m to see the kingfisher no less he lies in wait in secret places to watch the goings-on of the feathered peoples travels far afield to make a new acquaintance in the bird world in fact gives to the study of birds attention labor love and reverence he gets joy in return so is perhaps little conscious of effort but the effort is made all the same comradeship has duties to take one more instance of an affinity comradeship most of us have serious thoughts about friendship but we are apt to take comradeship fellowship very casually and to think it is sufficiently maintained if we meet for parties games picnics or what not public school boys generally learn better they know that comradeships means much cheerful give-and-take chaff help unsparing criticism if need be the taking or giving of serious reproof loyalty to each plucky and faithful leading staunch following truth speaking the power to see others put first without chagrin and to bear advancement without conceit here too are calls for attention labor love and reverence but again labor is swallowed up in delight the angel troubles the still pool one more point we are steadfast to the affinities we take hold of till death do us part or longer and here let me say a word as to the advantages which london offers in the way of masters and special classes i think it is most often the steel pool which the angel comes down to trouble a steady unruffled course of work without so-called advantages lends itself best to that troubling of the angel the striking upon us of what coleridge calls the captain ideal which initiates a tie of infinity the highest relationship neither the prelude nor the praetorita lends itself to the study of the highest relationship the profoundest intimacy which awaits the soul of man i think i cannot do better than close with an extract from a little book which tells the spiritual history of brother lawrence a lay brother among the barefooted carmelites at paris in the seventeenth century Quote, the first time i saw brother lawrence was upon the third of august sixteen sixty six he told me that god had done him a singular favor in his conversion at the age of eighteen that in the winter seeing a tree stripped of its leaves and considering that within a little time the leaves would be renewed and after that the flower and fruit appear he received a high view of the providence and the power of god which has never since been effaced from his soul that this view had perfectly set him loose from the world 
and kindled in him such a love for God that he could not tell whether it had increased in about forty years that he had lived since, that he had been footman to Monsieur Flaubert, the treasurer, and that he was a great awkward fellow who broke everything, that he had desired to be received into a monastery, thinking he would there be made to smart for his awkwardness and the faults he should commit, and so he should sacrifice to God his life with its pleasures. But that God had disappointed him, he having met with nothing but satisfaction in that state. That with him the set times of prayer were not different from other times. That he retired to pray according to the directions of his superior, but he did not want such retirement, nor ask for it, because his greatest business did not divert him from God, that the greatest pains or pleasures of this world were not to be compared with what he had experienced of both kinds in a spiritual state, so that he was careful for nothing and feared nothing, desiring but one only thing of God, that is, that he might not offend him that he had so often experienced the ready succors of divine grace upon all occasions that from the same experience when he had business to do he did not think of it beforehand but when it was time to do it he found in god as in a clear mirror all that was fit for him to do that of late he had acted thus without anticipating care but before the experience above mentioned he had used it in his affairs when outward business diverted him a little from the thought of God, a fresh remembrance coming from God invested his soul, and so inflamed and transported him that it was difficult for him to contain himself, that he was more united to God in his outward employments than when he left them for devotion and retirement. End quote. Quote, I want, am made for, and must have a God, ere I can be aught, do aught no mere name want but the true thing with what proves its truth to wit a relation from that thing to me touching from head to foot which touch i feel and with it take the rest this life of ours End quote. browning an educational manifesto studies serve for delight for ornament and for ability Every child has a right to enter to several fields of knowledge. Every normal child has an appetite for such knowledge. This appetite or desire for knowledge is a sufficient stimulus for all schoolwork, if the knowledge be fitly given. There are four means of destroying the desire for knowledge. A. Too many oral lessons, which offer knowledge in a diluted form and do not leave the child free to deal with it b lectures for which the teacher collects arranges and illustrates matter from various sources these often offer knowledge in too condensed and ready prepared a form c textbooks compressed and recompressed from the big book of the big man d the use of emulation and ambition as incentives to learning in place of the adequate desire for and delight in knowledge children can be most fitly educated on things and books things such as one natural obstacles for physical contention 
climbing, swimming, walking, etc. 2. Material to work in, wood, leather, clay, etc. 3. Natural objects in situ, birds, plants, streams, stones, etc. 4. Objects of art. 5. Scientific apparatus, etc. The value of this education by things is receiving wide recognition, but intellectual education to be derived from books is still, for the most part, to seek. Every scholar of six years old and upwards should study with delight his own living books on every subject in a pretty wide curriculum. Children between six and eight must, for the most part, have their books read to them. This plan has been tried with happy results for the last twelve years in many home school rooms and some other schools. By means of the free use of books, the mechanical difficulties of education, reading, spelling, composition, etc., disappear, and studies prove themselves to be for delight, for ornament, and for ability. There is reason to believe that these principles are workable in all schools, elementary and secondary, that they tend in the working to simplification, economy, and discipline. End of chapter 19